man, I just want to say thank you for, for all the, the text messages. I'm trying not to look at my wife because then I'll cry too. Um, but I, I just want to say thank you for all the text messages, all the phone calls, all the emails uh, when it comes to my father-in-law. Uh, Tom's been in the hospital for about two weeks. If you've ever met Tom, he's not a hospital type of person. Um, he is very much, he likes it his way. He likes to talk, um, and, and he wants everything kind of done at his pace. Um, so being in the hospital is tough on him, but, but he is getting better. Um, man, we're just believing that God's still in control. Uh, we're believing that r- whatever the outcome is, that, that God has a plan. So thank you for, for those prayers. Uh, the second thing I want to kind of acknowledge is this. Throughout our Generation Series, this is week three of our Generations Series, and, uh, and over the past couple weeks, man, I've been getting emails, I've been getting phone calls, I've been getting text messages, because these messages are, are truly doing something inside of you. Uh, Sam's shot me a, a, a message, and, and, and I, I didn't ask you if I could share it. Can I share it? Can, can, we, can we talk about it out loud? But, but you said, hey, what does it look like for, for me to step in to disciple um, people more? And, and I've gotten more text messages like that from other people because what I'm finding is this. The older generation truly does want to pour into a younger generation. And, and the younger generation is looking going, I wish someone would mentor me. So as we launch groups here in the next couple weeks for our spring semester, man, we've got some ideas and some plans in place to really cross those generational thresholds. And, and, and the last thing that I want to just mention before we get started today is what I was able to be a part of last week. So last week, um, I, I do this about three, four times a year. I get to go uh, coach church planners. So people that are like, hey, I feel like God's calling me to plan a church. Last week, I was able to sit, sit down with 30 different church planting groups that are going across the nation. That's something that you guys should be excited about because that's something that we're a part of. That means that the gates of hell are being pushed back, the kingdom of God is being expanded, and 30 new church plants are happening this year. Let me catch you up to to where we are in our, our generation series. So week one, we dove into Genesis chapter 12. And we talked about God's promises are for all generations. And we recognize that it takes all the generations working together to receive all the promises of God. And the metaphor that I used was the metaphor of a fire. You guys remember it? The the coals represented anyone that was over the age of 55. And what we said was, we need your stories, we need your miles, we need your wisdom, and we need your guidance. Listen, just because there's an older generation represented in the church doesn't mean that the church can just forget that older generation and say they've had their time. We need the older generation to pour into younger generations. Everybody over the age of 55 is shouting me down right now. Like, I hear you. But, but then we talked about the new, or the, we talked about the fuel. And the fuel was anyone between the ages of 30 all the way up to 55. And I recognize that if you're in that age group, I'm in that age group, we, we feel like we have some char to us. We feel like we have some life experiences. We feel like, like we, we've, we, we've arrived a little bit. But what I encouraged that group to do was to do the heavy lifting of the church, to be leaders that you're called to be, to serve like you're called to serve. Now, I got a text message uh, from Brian King. Brian, you still in here or are you walking around? He's probably walking around by now. I'm going to talk to him or talk about him since he's not in here. Um, so Brian texted me after last week's message, and he said, he said, Pastor Zach, he goes, I'm in that older group, but I still feel like I can do some heavy lifting. Like just because I'm older than 55 doesn't mean I can't do heavy lifting. I said, Brian, you're absolutely right, but what would it look like for you to teach others how to do heavy lifting? It takes the generations working together. And then that last component was the new wood. Anyone under the age of 30. 
Listen, if you're under the age of 30 in the room, I wish I was still part of that group. I'm like well past that now. It's weird, weird to think. Has anybody, anybody ever turned like 33 to 35 and you're like, I was 30 yesterday. Any, anybody in the room? I'm like, where'd it go? It's weird. But we, we need the individuals under the age of 30. We need your energy. We need your enthusiasm. We need your questions. And we dove into the story a little more, and we recognized that Abram was called by God to leave his comfort zone. I'll catch you up if you're not familiar with the story. Abram was 75 years old. Scripture says that he was very wealthy. He had it all together. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So, so God looked at Abram and he says, hey, I know you're established. I know you feel like you have it all together, but leave everything you know, leave all of your family, and leave all of your heritage. Leave everything that you would potentially inherit and follow where I'm calling you. And then we picked up in Genesis chapter 13, week number two. And we found this, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's herders. And we talked about this concept that when God pulls you out of your comfort zone, sometimes your seasons change and your relationships change. And when things change, you can live one of three lifestyles. You can live a close-handed lifestyle, a backhanded lifestyle, or an open-handed lifestyle. See, see, a close-handed lifestyle says, I'm selfish. A close-handed lifestyle says, I'm going to look out for me, myself, and I. A close-handed lifestyle says, I'm not going to worry what anyone else thinks as long as I get mine. A backhanded lifestyle is a, a lifestyle of bitterness. I've been hurt before, and I'm not going to trust anybody again. I, I've let people get too close to me before, and they've ended up hurting me. So I'm going to keep everyone at arm's length. I'm going to live a backhanded lifestyle. Or... Or we can choose to live an open-handed lifestyle. See, an open-handed lifestyle says I care more about the other person and, the ex- and, and more about the expansion of the kingdom. I care more about stewarding what God gives me. Let me catch you up with Genesis chapter 13 and 14. We're going to be in Genesis 15 today. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes to 13 and 14. Um, anybody else get cliff notes from their friends when they were in school because you forgot to read the chapters? And it sparked, did you Google Spark Notes all the time? Who said that? You, are you still Googling Spark Notes? Yeah. Who else Googles Spark Notes? Like, I got A's because of Spark Notes. I'm not going to lie. But it was, like, it was like that synopsis that your friend is like, oh, we were supposed to read four and five. I didn't. What happened? We got a pop quiz. So let, let me catch you up with, with Genesis 13 and 14. So, so this is what happened. Abram and Lot end up separating. And Lot chooses to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abram finds out that these fights are breaking out and Lot's actually been taken captive. So Abram gets his boys together and goes, we got to go get my nephew. So they go and they fight and they get Lot and his possessions back. And at the end of 14, we meet this priest called Melchizedek. And, And now we're in Genesis chapter 15. So week three of our Generations series. Starting in Genesis chapter 15, if I had to title this sermon something, I would title it God Promised, but it's not what I see. God promised, but it's not what I see. Well, we have to go back to Genesis 12 to see what God promised. Genesis 12, chapter, or Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. 
and all the families on the earth will be a blessing through you. That was the blessing that God gave to Abram. Okay, well, Zach, how does it affect me? Remember, we connected the dots through Scripture, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ. So if you're in this room and you have a relationship with Jesus, now that you belong to Christ, now that you're a disciple of Christ, Scripture says you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promises to Abraham belong to you. So, so the promises of Genesis 12 flow all the way down to you as you step into a relationship with Jesus. But I think many of us have been there in our life. God promised, but it ain't what I see. God made me this promise, but it's not what I see. So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. The first phrase is one of the most important phrases, and I'll, I'll get to it in a bit, but sometime later. Sometime later. The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. So God speaks to Abram, and, and this is Abram's response. But Abram replied, and I imagine that it went something like this, Lord, and what, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? And you can almost feel it in his voice, since you've given me no children. Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household. You can almost hear the disappointment in Abram's voice. A servant in my household will inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. And in that moment, I kind of feel the pain of Abram's voice. So one of my servants, he says it again, so one of my servants will be my heir. I think Abram is where we've all been before. It's the fight between feelings and faith. Now, be honest with yourself for a second. It's the fight between feelings and faith. God said, but I feel. God spoke, but all I see is. God, God spoke, but the business isn't growing. God spoke, but the doctor's report isn't aligning with what I felt God say. God spoke, but my internal doubt says something of the contrary. What are your responses when your feelings and your fate collide? It's the difference of what God said versus what I see. See, what God said is powerful, but what I see is anything but powerful. What I see almost seems irrelevant. I remember getting called in, into ministry when I was 17 years old. Man, I thought I was going to step into full-time ministry as soon as I graduated college. And I, I waited and I waited and I waited and I graduated. And I ended up not stepping into full-time ministry. In fact, I didn't step into full-time ministry until I was 27 years old when we planted this church. I wasn't a pastor before we planted this thing. I'm still figuring it out. So if y'all want to leave, you can leave. Like, thank you for the chuckles. That either means, oh, I'm thinking about leaving or, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but man, like for 10 years, what God spoke isn't what I saw. For, for a decade, has anybody ever been there? Maybe you're living there right now. What God spoke isn't what I'm seeing. We have the tendency to, to run past these feelings sometimes. We have the tendency to not want our feelings and our faith to collide. Why? Because it feels like we're questioning God. It feels like we're doubting God. It feels like we don't believe in God. And we don't want to get on that line. But where do your feelings and your faith collide? God spoke, but Abram replied. God spoke, but 
we reply. What do you reply? I don't want you to obviously answer me out loud, but, but what, what do you reply? And I think the reason the room kind of gets quiet is because we don't want to admit what we replied. We, we don't want to admit what we've said to God sometimes. Why? Because we're not necessarily proud of what we've said to God sometimes. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only person that uses four-letter words talking to God sometimes, but, but, but I do. Like my feelings and my faith, they collide. But when God spoke, he gave Abram a vision of his future. Genesis 15, 1, the Lord spoke to Abram. But think of who Abram was. Abram was a man of faith. Scripture says that he was the father of the Jewish people. He was the father of the lineage of Christ. And even he responded with what he sees and what he feels opposed to what God said. And I wonder if Abram's response is connected to that first phrase that I mentioned. Sometime later. Genesis 15.1, sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram. See, the first time that God spoke to Abram, what does he do? He builds an altar. He says, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And he sets out on his journey. But then some time passes, sometime later. Sometime later, God spoke, and Abram's second response was hesitation and complaining. Abram's second response was, God, are you sure it doesn't look like what I see? Abram's second response was, God, what good are all your blessings if you haven't even given me an heir? I, I don't know about you, but, but I've been there before. To put it in the church world, I think it's the difference between going versus serving. So, so at some point in your life, God kind of got a hold of you and he said, hey, I think you need to get back in the church. Hey, I think you need to get your family back in the church. And I don't think you would be sitting here today if God hasn't somehow gotten a hold of your heart. You're like, God, I'm, I'm in. I'll, I'll go to church. But it's the difference between going versus serving because when God started pulling on your heart telling you to serve in kids or to serve in youth or to be a part of the setup team and the teardown team, you're like, I don't know, God. I don't know if I like these people that much. Like, I like you. I don't like people. It's the difference between going, some of y'all are laughing, like, yeah, that's, that's probably, probably me. And you responded with hesitation and complaining. We can also look at this uh, another way. We can say, God, I believe you, but I need you to answer three questions for me. And the first one is this, when are you going to do it? The second question is this, how are you going to do it? And the third question, the most important question is, God, are you sure you got the right person? Y'all ever ask God that? Like, are you, God, are you, sure, are you sure you have the right person? Abram is told that he'll be a father of all the generations to come, but he didn't have an heir. He, he didn't have a kid, so we had to take a deeper dive into the text. And Abram's response, since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. So who was Eliezer? Eliezer of Damascus, was he a bad person? Not necessarily, but the thing that we have to understand is that there's a difference between a servant and a son. Abram was promised a son, all he saw was a servant. Eliezer of Damascus, if he was going to receive all of the inheritance of Abram, he must have been a high-level servant. Think of a CEO of sorts. He was the guy in charge of all of Abram's possessions. And Abram was willing to to settle for something that seemed good. Sometimes the choice isn't between good and bad, but between good and God. 
where have you settled for Eliezer in your life? Where have you just settled for good in your life opposed to what God has for your life? Maybe you've settled in a relationship, and you're just dating a person that you're dating right now because they're convenient, because they're there. You're dating Eliezer instead of waiting for Isaac. Maybe it's in a job. Man, you've settled for a job that seems good. Why? Because you get a paycheck opposed to following the call that God has on your life. And Abram's response is, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? And then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, God's promise is still good after some time later. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. Have you ever seen, um, have you ever seen uh, what grocery stores do with expiration dates? Y'all notice it's not an expiration date anymore. It's a best buy date. Yeah, is it like sell by or, or use by? There's no expiration dates anymore. See, expiration dates say something goes bad. Now it's Best Buy. I got a, I got a confession. I hate wasting groceries, um, and we order groceries a lot. Like I, <laughs> I get, stay groceries more. I get clapped out. Um, but I, I, hate, I, hate wasting, I hate wasting groceries, and uh, we order groceries. We've done this twice now, Jenna. This is my confession before the congregation and the Lord um, and you. But, but we've ordered groceries, and we got this big thing of yogurt. And then I looked at the yogurt, and three days after we bought the yogurt, it says Best Buy. Like, okay, so I got three days to eat all this yogurt. What happens? Your boy doesn't eat yogurt for three days because evidently I don't want any. So when I go to pull it out on the fourth day, I'm like, oh, it's Best Buy. I got to throw it away. And I threw it away. I should have opened it up and started eating it because I'm convinced that grocery stores just use this Best Buy thing as a gimmick to get you to buy more of their product. Here's the problem. It worked because the next week we bought the thing of yogurt that we didn't open and I threw it away again. I will not throw away another thing of yogurt. I will be eating yogurt even if it's two weeks old. <laughs> but it's a gimmick, right? Like it's like, oh, it's Best Buy, so you need to throw it away. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the enemy has some of you throwing away your dreams and your desires and the call that God has on your life because for some reason you think they've expired. For some reason, you think your sin expires your dreams. You think your separation from God expires the call that he has on your life. Can I tell you a secret? Time away from sin isn't grace and forgiveness. Some of you will get that in a second. We think the longer we're away from sin, the more God forgives us. It doesn't work that way. Just because you're away from sin for a while doesn't mean that the Lord loves you any more or any less. You know those secret sins that you deal with? And, and sometimes you fall temptation to the sin. How do you feel? You feel guilty. You feel bad. You feel dirty. And we feel like God can forgive us weeks later, months later, but not in that moment. And sometimes, sometimes the enemy tries to get us to throw away our dreams and our desires because we feel like they've expired. Don't allow yourself to have a victim mentality that lives between your ears. Why? Because you're not a victim. Stop playing like you're a victim. said this a couple weeks ago. Whether, believe, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Carol Dweck puts it this way. She's a psychologist. She says, it's the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Which one are you going to have? Some of you stay, 
fixated on your past. You say fixated on where you're falling. You've stayed fixated on sometime later opposed to seeing God for who he truly is. Verse 5, then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, if you're taking notes, write this down, number two, sometimes God needs to change our physical place so he can change our perspective. Sometimes he needs to change your physical place. Any Disney fans in the room? I love Lion King. Like, I where's, where's like my OG Lion King? Like you like the animated Lion King. Who likes like the live action Lion King? Really? Not one hand? Well, I'll raise my hand for that one. But I, I love, man, I love Lion King. I love it. Y'all remember Simba runs away. If you, listen, if you haven't seen Lion King by now, it's a spoiler alert. I'm going to spoil it for you. But Lion King, or uh, Simba runs away, and he hangs out with Timon and Pumbaa, and then Nala makes her way into the scene, and, and then Simba ends up running back into Rafiki. Rafiki hits him over the head, and he says, hey, Simba, remember who you are? And then Rafiki starts to run through the bush, and, and Simba's following him, and he's trying to crawl through, and then all of a sudden, Simba comes out on the other side of this big field, and he looks up to the, the stars, and what does he see? He sees Mufasa. What does Mufasa say? Says Simba, remember, remember who you are, right? Like, it's a bad impersonation. Remember who you are. But man, can I encourage somebody today to truly remember who you are? Man, would you remember that you are a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ? I for, I think we forget who we are sometimes. Recognize what what God has done as a church planner. Man, I have to recognize what God has done all the time. I can walk into the lobby and I can, I can see smiles and I can hear laughter and I just recognize what God has done. I'll be honest with you, this is probably one of the most, it's probably the, one of the hardest um, messages for me to preach. Not, not because I'm not prepared or not because, you know, whatever, whatever you could think of. But I'm kind of scatterbrained and a little all over the place because of what I know I've written down. And it, it's, it's easy to preach. It's hard to put into practice. Because I have to remember what God has done. And my father-in-law is laying in the hospital. And he's sick. He's not doing good. And I know that, that when we leave here, we're going to take the girls. And I know church is going to stop. And. And I'm going to go see him later today, laid up in a hospital room. And I'm not looking forward to it. But I have to remember what God has done. I have to remember that, that Jenna, your dad was healed of cancer years ago. I have to remember that, that God has worked miracle after miracle after miracle in his life. I have to remember what God has done. I have to look up at the stars and, and hear me. That's not ignoring the situation it's not me putting my head in the sand, but it's remembering God's faithfulness. Where has God been faithful in your life? You've always heard the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I want to pull on that thread just a little further. Show me your prayers and I'll show you your future. Mark Batterson says this. He says, prayers are prophecies. They are the best predicators of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. The, the transcript of your prayers become the script of your life. And God says to Abram, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. 
that's how many descendants you will have. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our lives become what we look at. God, God told Abram not just to look up at the stars, but to count the stars if you can. And those two things are drastically different. Why? Because it takes a wild account. It's the difference between a glance and a gaze. See, too many times we glance at the promises of God instead of gazing at the promises of God. Too, too many times we say, yeah, God, you said that then, but I don't believe it now. Too many times we say something along the lines of, God, it's what you said, but it's not what I see. God says, Abram, change, change your perspective. What are, you, what are you looking at? Because what I've come to, to realize as I get a little older is this, what you focus on is what you become. So for a moment, could I get everybody to close their eyes? What are the dreams and the desires that God has placed inside of you? What are the things that you've been praying for for years that it doesn't seem like God is hearing the prayers? For a moment, I want you in your mind's eye, can you see it? Can you, can you picture it in your mind's eye? Can you dream it in your mind's eye? Because if you can see it and you can picture it and you can dream it, then you can live it. But it takes more than a glance. What you focus on is what you become. If you focus on bitterness, you'll always be bitter. If you focus on your lack, you'll always lack. If you focus on your dysfunction, then you will always be dysfunctional. If you focus on fear, then you'll always have fear. If you focus on the world, then you'll always have an empty void. You have to flip the script. And this is how we flip the script. Verse 6. Scripture says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I want you to open your eyes. Where do you need to believe the Lord? If you break down the original text, the Hebrew word believed is aman, and it has a few different meanings. And the first meaning is this. It means belief. Like I truly believe what you're saying. The second meaning is this. It means to endure. And the third meaning kind of caught me by surprise. It's one of those you read it and you're like, oh God, you really do know what you're talking about. But, but the third meaning is this, to foster father or foster mother. So what was Abram saying? Abram saying, God, I hear you. God, you know what? In this moment, I truly do believe you. Not only do I just believe you, but I'm going to endure the time to come until what? Until you make me a father. I'm going to start acting like a father now before I even become a father. Why? Because I believe what you've said. So God, before, before I see what you've promised in my life, I'm going to start acting like it's already happening. If you're taking notes, write this down. Start acting like the promises of God are real and tangible. See, when Isaac was born, Abram didn't have to learn how to be a father. Why? Because he was already acting like it. He was already acting like he was a father. Stop the passive waiting in your life. Faith is active. See, we want God to do the miraculous in our life, but sometimes God is looking at you and saying, I'll do the miraculous if you do the obvious. 
You do the obvious. You've heard it said this way before. Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Maybe in this room, man, you felt like God spoke to you and said you were going to be a mom or dad. And you're, you're starting to come up against roadblocks. You're starting to feel like, like your faith and your feelings are colliding. What if you started acting like it? What if you started serving in the kids' ministry? What if you started serving the youth? What if you started mentoring the people that were younger to you? You, you felt like God told you you were going to be married, but you're still single. What if you started acting like the spouse that you want to attract? You, you, you're making minimum wage, and, and you want to step into a full-time career. What if you started acting like it's true? In that case, stop working like the minimum wage employee and work like a CEO. You want to be a part of a healthy, growing, thriving church? Then act like it. Be bringers. Be invested. Be brought in. Because this is, this is what I know. It might feel like sometime later. It might feel like time has passed. But God is calling you to change your perspective. To look up at the stars. To stop glancing at it and gaze at it. Remember when God's been faithful in your life. Remember when God has come through in your life. I don't know how he's going to make a 